The difference between you as you're developing your perceptions and the average human being is that you begin to see the, the psychic sludge that's coming out and the entities associated with that sickness. Uh, fortunately, most of you don't see the full picture of the entities, but you're beginning to understand that you know the body has its mechanism of eliminating unwanted or untoward pranas, the energies that's no longer useful in it. And those energies are what you generated earlier on and maybe still do. Uh, the Buddhists call them klishas, the samskaras, the, your negative emotionalities, your fears, your hatreds, your animosities, your worries, um, whatever bigotry you might have had, the critical mind, uh, all forms of emotionalities of whatever kind. Um, later on, even loving emotionalities have to be cleansed. And so there's a mechanism within the body for the cleansing of this, these energies. They're watery in nature, therefore it's a sewer that comes out of you. Maybe you can think of your body as a, as a city, a huge city, and the chakras, the organs of your body, um, with all of their, you know, if you're looking at the lungs, the avioli, and, you know, all of the, the branch, the branches of, for, for the air to come through the bronchial passages, you, you can begin to imagine, or any other of the organs of the heart, it's, each one of them is like a small city uh, built up of agglomeration of, of small unit cells into larger unit cellular um, constructs. And this, uh, this whole, each entity is producing their own waste. Every cell has got its mechanism of, of eliminating waste products. Uh, there's the there's a semi-permeable membrane that only allows certain products to come in. A lot of the waste products from the cells end up in the interstitial tissues between the cells later on, and they stay there. It's um, especially the the medical drugs that have been pumped into you, you know, all of the alien entities that the body has never been designed to recognize or deal with um, modern medications. And these mineral drugs, they normally get stored in between the spaces, the interstitial tissue between the cells. And later on, when the body ages, uh, then these substances come out and then they cause serious aches and pains, serious complaints, um, arthritis, many, many other types of um, problems like that. You know, it can produce senility later on as it's coming out of the brain. It, it densifies, it toxifies that area. And I won't go fully into the entire you know, 
alternative medical way of viewing things. And then over that is an overlaid the esoteric perspective. But all, all disciples have to deal with, with sicknesses, with the coming out of the toxic sludge, the, the uh, pranas, the cliches that are not, by this time, they're not just words, you know, emotions and bad sort of habits that you've had, but they all translated in terms of energies. And, you know, we esotericists and, and modern physicists, we, we think the same. Energy is all it is. Um, we just add that energy and consciousness are interrelated. And consciousness derives energy this way or that, or colors it and qualifies it. And um, there's nothing really other than that. Uh, those, and then there's the entities that embody the energies and the crystallization of the energies into the substance matter that uh, we all live in. Uh, modern physics has given us some wonderful revelations, which Isitus has always known, um, and that um, everything is largely empty. Uh, your, your body is an illusion. You know, if you go down from the physicist's point of view, what is it? Atoms. And uh, atoms are really a little nucleus with protons, electrons, all that sort of um, quite a distance away from the nucleus. And not so much protons, but the, the electrons and quite a distance away from, from the nucleus. You know, like if the, uh, the center of the atom, the nucleus was something like where the sun is, then um, where the earth is, would be uh, where the uh, electrons would be. And you think of that distance and that's empty space. And then the distance between atoms is even faster than that, and they're bound together by certain energy fields. And you then sort of make compounds of largely empty spaces with tiny bits of what people may regard as matter or substance, holding it all together. And then you compound this by billions of times and you get something like what a human unit is or, or physical form. And everything is vibrating. Everything has got its own momentum, motion. The atoms are revolving around each other and so forth. Nothing is static. And that's in the sense the, the, the physicist viewpoint. And of course, that's very similar to our esoteric, except of course, we're looking not just at the, the physical body and its illusionality, but of all of the, the subtle vehicles as well, which right now our empirical scientists don't recognize, but are moving that ways. So it's a proper understanding of, 
of energy and energy fields within the body that you that you're dealing with when you undertake the path of meditation and the process of working upon yourself to gain enlightenment what you're asking to become is a or to manifest this perfect health an enlightened being is one who is perfectly healthy or a fully enlightened one you can't imagine somebody like the buddha for instance having an ounce or a skerrick of sickness or disease beneath him uh, they, they are radiant healers and you're walking on the same path trying to emulate that being or such a being to become a divine healer uh, for many of you that's a goal and many of you have tried also to learn the art of healing but when you're what you're really having to deal with when it comes with to healing is to properly understand what energy is what is energy the types of food you eat they are composed of substance if you wish of that are really just different energy states some are quote base um, very low grade energy and then there's the plant forms that have very very vibrant energy and vitamins and you know vitamin c and all of that and vitamin d for sure is all captured sunlight um, and plant material is that as well so one of the reasons why you um, when you walk the path, become vegetarian and then some become vegans is, of course, of the energy fields. You are dealing with a more and more vibrant energy. You're producing a radiant health aura. You are trying to produce the type of aura that's depicted in all the tankas of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Radiance, purity, light. Well, there is mechanisms of transmutation or transference of the animal products into that radiance, but it takes much more effort. It's a secondary step. Some Tibetans have managed that uh, in, and gained enlightenment. Though they eat meat, though it's very, very little that they eat at that particular stage, and very little at all. And that's another thing, of course, that as you walk the path, you tend to eat less and less and less. You don't need that much food to sustain you. You're beginning to live more on prana, more on captured sunlight. So that understanding of, of the, the, the refinement of energy and everything that you're doing then is to produce more and more refined energy states. You're meditating, you're working upon yourself, you're eliminating your gross emotions, your gross um, negative mental states, all of those cliches that, that you know, are, are not good to have that produce pain and suffering when you interrelate with others. Uh, in fact, of course, to use the, the Buddha's 
for uh, noble truths, you know, all is suffering. Uh, and um, suffering is the, the result of attachment. Um, and the mechanism of suffering is to not be attached. And now the Buddhists have been using this, and then he goes in a you know, whitefold path, but the, the Buddhists have been using this particular formula for thousands of years now. And it's true now as it is then, but what is it that you're not to be attached to? And most people think in terms of sex, um, emotionality, material things, certainly to the yogins. And then they said, oh, this physical body is something that I shouldn't be attached to. Uh, and then they go into extreme yoga. And the Buddha tried that and found that that was not the mechanism. But, so what's... Uh, what you're learning to not be attached to is anything that causes sickness, disease, suffering. But we all know that we'll die eventually, though there's a stage of where you're going to in your meditation life when death or the need to die per se is transcended. Uh, that can happen at the fourth initiation. Uh, you can keep your body alive then for as long as you wish. And there are stories, for instance, uh, the story of Guru Rinpoche, uh, that they say it was around at the time of the Buddha, and then a thousand or so years later, he appeared in Tibet. Uh, uh, it, it can be conceived of as a myth, it can be conceived as a reality. It's entirely within the bounds of, of spiritual possibility. Because by then you've transmuted the substance of your physical body into an ethric form. And the ethric form can appear physical and disappear into the ethric state um, at will by means of the use of the mind. Because it's all bound by energy and energy is controlled by mind. So this uh, process of becoming perfectly healthy uh, necessitates eliminating the substance in you that is debilitating, that weighs you down, that clogs up your nadis the substance that makes your body like lead. Uh, you're refining, 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 refining. It's an alchemical process. Transformation, transmutation, sublimation. These um, alchemical terms is what's actually happening. And so when you start this process of of properly walking the yogic path, the walking the path to enlightenment, uh, automatically the uh, <coughs> chakra starts spinning and throwing out the substance, throwing out the toxins, throwing out that which is negative, heavy, lethargic, that dulls consciousness. Most of you, um, sometimes you'll see the, the dull consciousness of 
the people that you interrelate with, for instance, when you're in a shopping center. Uh, and if you get more psychic, it becomes not such a nice experience um, that to see the types of auras and the energies and the total dullness that people have around them. It makes you want to become a yogin, uh, to uh, disappear from society, but simply to escape that type of energy field that is ever around you and ever present. So you are throwing the substance out and the body has its mechanism of expulsion. Yogins had to do the same. As I said, for all the yogins, uh, the solution was relatively simple, of course. They didn't interrelate with people. They locked themselves up in caves or in a monastery and then walled, like in Tibet, you know, in the monastery, they were walled up uh, and given a little, tiny little bit of food, just enough to survive on. And uh, that was it. No more gross pranas coming in uh, and one can concentrate purely on throwing out the substance. Of course, this, if the yogin was busy sort of chanting mantras and thinking the wrong, uh, producing the wrong ideas, the mental ideas as what he thinks his yoga is or her yoga is, then um, the substance is being created by means of mind. It's not all just food. Uh, to give you an example, you know, about 20 years ago or something, I was in Dharamsala uh, with some of my students, uh, females at the time, and um, and we met a a um, abbot from Tibet, and. Uh, of course, I'm dressed up as a Lama, as a Nyingma Lama. And so we had a conversation, of course, he was speaking in Tibetan, so it was a translator. And we were talking about how Dakini came to me and my students and told us to go to a, a to look for a certain monastery in a Lama and some of the other experiences. And this particular abbot, he was going to see his guru, who was uh, one of the Rinpoche's there, to get instructions. And he said, I have done three years, three months, three weeks, three days, solitary meditation to get my degree of being an abbot. And never have I ever experienced anything like what you've told me. Uh, <coughs> And that's, um, that's coming straight from, uh, you know, somebody that came from Tibet for high instructions. Of course, he wanted me to instruct him. <laughs> but <laughs> what I'm sort of getting to is that that type of um, extreme yoga, what he was talking about, which is um, being locked up in a room um, with only a tiny little enclosure and they fed a little bit of food and they spent all of that time 
three years, three months, etc., just doing meditation, just doing what they were instructed to do, um, and gained almost zero spiritual perceptions from it. Uh, and whereas you come to somebody like me, and it doesn't take long before the spiritual perceptions come to view. And there's a great difference because of the teacher, the teaching method. Now, going back to this, this main theme, of course, well, just to go back to that, we're actually instructed, this is an incredible journey, we were in Dharamsala, and we were given an image of a monastery. The image was given to us quite uh, clearly, and um, the monastery had a circular compound, and we are asked to find a particular Rinpoche. We were not told where that monastery was, or how to find that Rinpoche but we were told to find it. And this particular journey led us right through India. It took about six months. And finally we found the monastery and the Rinpoche, or his, one of his students, I finally found him too, the Rinpoche. And it was all the way in Sikkim, and it was the oldest monastery in Sikkim, about 400 years old, um, that we all led to. And that was a, a vast esoteric journey that um, lots of adventures. But this is the sort of thing that that's written in the yogi books or yogic books of Tibet, but in the modern age. And I'm just giving you that just as a, as a little bit of background. I spent about three years in, in the Sikkim area and um, at um, Kalampong, Darjeeling. Now, going back to this, this main theme is, yes, the, when you start the path proper, the pranas get thrown out of you. The, the gross pranas, the negative pranas, the watery substance, the sewer-like substance, and it flows out of you and you have to deal with it. Uh, and the fact is that A, there's chakras, yes, there's the minor chakras, but the chakras are just the uh, gateways to the physical body. In other words, the organs of the body, the endocrine glands for the major chakras, and then organs for the minor chakras, are the sinks for the energies that come through the chakras. And so if the chakra cannot dissipate the pranas that are coming through naturally, uh, through the, what's the half aura, which as I tried to describe to you before, in other words, psychically, then all the remnant gets sunk into the physical form. And once it does that, then there's sickness or disease or pains and aches in that particular organ or area of the body. You know, the stomach, the sexual organs and so forth. Uh, and 
I described that a little bit to you in my last email. So what uh, you as a yogi or yogini have to do is try to prevent the shunting of the substance into your physical organs uh, and to try to help transmute some of the flow or to um, cause it to go in a different direction. Of course, most of this type of visualization is a little bit beyond you, but not fully. As I mentioned before, they are divas. Uh, now, <laughs> as I mentioned, I told you, I, I said an email, if you ever see these poor little beautiful female figures, normally golden and silver white, you know, about <laughs> so high normally in front of the splenic center, often being flooded with this muck, uh, trying valiantly to direct it in the right direction. And <laughs> you know, then it's your job to clean it and, uh, and to encourage it. And, but the main thing for all of you to do is to understand that this is a yogic process and therefore to not generate those types of qualities that cause those murky pranas to come out of the body. Um, you know, you know your emotional states, you know, the cliches, uh, the negativities, uh, what you're developing all the time is love, unbounded love, <laughs> unbounded joy in the work that you do. Compassionate activity, uh, continuous um, thoughts of helping and serving, bringing in light and more and more light. Of course, as you can handle the light, so it throws up more substance. You can see uh, that this concept of instantaneous enlightenment is a joke. Uh, people may get flashes of revelation and psychic states and psychic awarenesses, which are ashful, but the enlightenment cannot come until you can handle really intense energies. The whole meditation process is um, the process of cleansing the substance of your body, the, the low vibrational energies, so that more and more higher vibrational energies can come into you. I mean, what you're really dealing with is light, uh, different degrees of the energy of light. How intense um, is the light that you can receive? Um, say the symbolic uh, thousand watt globe that's beaming out, or is it something like a candle a wick that's burning of, of energy? that your consciousness can receive without going AWOL. Whenever the energies come in, then it throws out substance. It throws out the negativities. And so this is just a law of physics. Uh, physics and our spirituality are, are synonymous. 
uh, Physics and Meditation is synonymous. Therefore, you know, my book that I wrote, uh, Esoteric Cosmology and Modern Physics, I'm pointing out that the two are really one. It's the, we use certain terminology and they use different terminology, but the concepts are fundamentally the same. From many perspectives, of course, we have the higher dimensions of perception as well as, well as to think out in our physics where they are purely dealing with what we call the um, effects or uh, the residual of, or the ultimatum or the substance of what has been manifesting via the inner domains. The higher the planes of perception, the more intense the energy that you have to contact. When you get into the, what the Buddhists and the Hindus would call the rupa, the formless realms, then you're talking about intense energies, fields of light, bright light. And of course, most of you have experienced um, bright light and lighted states um, in your meditations and you know, high, high illumination um, states, intuitions and so forth. And there's, you're getting into uh, the domain, which I call buddhi, uh, the Buddhists would call sunyata. And that, so it's the, to be able to withstand it, that intense bright light, intense illumination, that uh, we, that's hierarchy, your higher self, and you on the physical plane are working to produce within your consciousness. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, you look at um, most human beings, if you look at their auras, their, their consciousness is exceedingly dull, not much removed, <laughs> in my mind, from that of an animal, uh, just uh, very dull, very lethargic, very slow thinking um, substance that's there. And you're transforming that type of substance to dynamic light that is, you know, thinks instantaneously, instantaneous revelation, a flash of, of revelation. You can think, um, you, can, you can be in Sirius, for instance, in a, in a, in a, a flash like that um, in your consciousness, in your mind. Uh, the, you know, it's very difficult. I mean, some of you are already now aware of it, um, to, for you to understand just how far and vast your mind is, once you free it from its sludge, once you free the lethargic energy field that it's residing in, the, the more and more you uh, can transform the substance, the you begin to, you even break the 186,000 miles per second uh, or 300 and whatever thousand meters per second uh, light is supposed to be bound by. That is transcended. You know, you travel at the speed of thought and therefore you can be in Sirius and talking to a being there or some other um, star system well, in your meditation while you're sitting here, because uh, the energy barriers have been broken. The uh, consciousness field 
the sluggish consciousness that limits your mind to this earth and to the concept of I, me, and mine no longer exists. You see, uh, I'm giving you, I'm trying to give you a perspective of this, what you are trying to achieve and your meditation world in terms of energy, rather in terms of the usual types of terminology that is given in our, in our books, in the Buddhist books and so forth. Uh, you know, psychosomatic terms and all the other aspects, the terminology of the philosophies or the Ispari and you know, the entities that, that can afflict you because it's all just vehicles of energy, quanta of energy. And your body is just a different mass of, of energy fields and your consciousness is similar. So you're transforming, transmogrifying, transmuting base substance into light. You're developing the philosopher's stone, in other words. And for that, the substance must come out that hinders, restricts, limits, prevents, mars, distorts, refinement of consciousness, the ability to hold in your consciousness light, intensified light. And that light is but mind with a capital M. And you know the term enlightenment, and you know in the middle of that word is the word light. Right? You're enlightening yourself. And the ability to receive light produces liberation of the form from attachment to the form, from the realms of suffering. The more light you can bring into you, the less possibility there is of suffering. The process, of course, produces uh, the cleansing of the arenas of suffering, which as the substance comes out through the various chakras, uh, as you go up to the dimensions of perception in your chakras, there's always substance to come out. Uh, then you experience the levels of suffering of the cleansing of the substance. I mentioned in my last email, it's not just this life. Uh, this life, you could be quite saintly, <laughs> virtually perfect from, from day one, but still suffer. You still have to deal with sickness or disease because there's these past lives of activity. There's some scars flowing through as well. When the samskaras from past lives come into the surface, they produce the tendencies in this life uh, that you'll act out uh, because the karma has to be cleansed and so you'll act out those tendencies. But what you're doing is always moving in the spiral cyclic motion and it's also a wave motion that's moving from a grosser heavier sort of energy field to 
lighter and more and more refined, but it's spiral cyclic and wave at the same time. Uh, this, uh, so it's cycle after cycle after cycle of cleansing and the cleansing of your past life, samskaras. And of course, you're trying not to manifest in this life anything that's negative or to add the samskaras that produces a burden for the next life. When you think esoterically or as an enlightened being, you think in terms of these, these cycles of incarnations and these, these waves of, of the cleansing process. Of course, earlier on, um, you're busy creating all this substance, all this muck, all this karma of the dark brotherhood. And you know that's all we're really talking about when you're talking about soul-like energies. It's the energy of the dark brotherhood. You're given weaponry to defend yourself, yourselves from yourselves, from that point of view. Um, of course, there are entities on the inner realms and the psychic domains that are personifications of the substance that's coming out your negative emotions and all the rest of it. They're simply the personifications. And they like to keep that substance in you. And therefore they add their substance to yours and, um, and other psychic tricks that they possess to try to keep you back there. And you're saying, no, I wanna move on. I wanna move away from this realm of suffering, death, and all the rest of it, these cycles of, of misery, um, to cycles and domains of light and greater light. And therefore you must fight off those personifications on the inner realms of what it is that's coming out of you at that time, at that particular samskaric cycle. You, most of you, of course, are not aware of your past lives, and some of you may have had some glimmerings, but you don't really see, for instance, yourself in Atlantis doing witchcraft, black magic, um, lots of causing sickness and disease in other people through mantra, projection of of the power of thought. You know, you've you've been given images of the voodoo doll with the pin that's stuck into it and certain organs and then the person over there um, that the edit aims at suddenly suffers um, this, the disease or the pain where that pin has been stuck in the doll. In my Australian society, the Aboriginal people have also a death stick that they can point and the Aboriginals will get the energies that, that are part of that society um, and they can be killed that way. This um, psychic uh, nature of, of, of human beings in, in the negative way, in the shamanistic way, in the black magic way uh, of those ancient times and also uh, at the present in our so-called primitive societies, um, though most of you have forgotten all of that, but the samskaras are still there. The inherent memory is still there. The karmic links with the entities that you worked with to produce that magic, they're still there. 
they have also grown. And they are the ones that then embody or in the embodiments of sickness and disease for you. You're saying, no, I no longer wish to do that type of magic. Um, I've discovered a more wonderful, marvelous form of magic, and it deals with light, not with death and sickness and suffering. And so you're educating these dark ones uh, as to the ways of light, you're giving the swords to zap them. And they're trying to say to you, no, um, this arena of sickness and pain is much more powerful. Because when you look at it from their perspective, you look in that world out there and everywhere there's sickness and disease and sludge and death and agony and misery and pain and ups and downs of happiness and joy and then back into pains again. That's their domain. There's the mass of people, billions of people doing that. How many amongst those billions are actually generating light consciously? Right? The Dark Brotherhood um, knows their domain and they know how supremely powerful they are in that world. And you're one here, another one over there, not many, that are working upon extracting yourself from that morass, from that mind control. Of course, those of you who look at our governments uh, can see that they all totally controlled and their lords, etc., cetera, uh, to keep everyone oppressed in that way. You see, therefore, this process of becoming enlightened uh, is one of extracting yourself from the creation of sludge, of the pranas of sickness and disease, death, and all of the activities that produce that from, if you wish, being someone who can cause sickness and pain through a voodoo doll type of um, mentality uh, to the selfishnesses, the ambitious, petty ambitious activities of other people, the lust for power, the wanting to dominate and control others, uh, sexual control, sexual depravity, and all of that whole history of sexuality um, I'm not just talking of course about loving sexuality but the whole history of it from um, prostitution onwards that that you think of, of people that um, rulers with their harems and so forth uh, and the way that people interrelate their jealousies and phobias and fears and all of that stuff that comes from people, human, normal human sexual interrelationships, all of that is samskaras, karma, sludge that you still retain, contain in the substance of your body, which uh, needs to be cleansed as you become more and more 
enlightened, more awakened, as you aspire to the higher domains, as you work to be from the rupa, from the form realms to the rupa, to the formless realms. That's where you move. It's interesting, therefore, for all of you uh, to think, uh, as I said, you look at the mirror and you say, well, this is me, that's what I am. And what you don't see is this entire history of moving streams of energies from past cycles of activity and go back thousands and thousands of years, moving and flowing through you into the future. And what is the future for you? It's great light of being a liberated being. And right now, your consciousness is working to actually consciously convert that substance or push out that substance because you're working upon yourself. You're working becoming more and more loving, more and more sensitive to other people's needs, more and more sensitive to each other's needs. The teaching is one of group love, group service, group harmony. Therefore, you're thinking of the group members um, as you are working upon yourself as well. You can see that it's a defocalizing from the dramatic, central dramatic eye to that which is the not eye, that which is the all. And at this particular stage, um, you're defocusing from your central point and you're making the all the group. And then from the group to that which is the group service, how it can help the others out in that world, how to spread light to them, how to cleanse them from the arenas of sickness, disease and death. So as you aspire upwards and can receive greater light, you throw out your sludge, you know, in personal sludge, the group shows out its group sludge, and that is what's called group testings. But then you're trying to what attract to you others that can also begin to throw out their sludge. Um, there's arenas of sickness, disease, all of those attributes of mind, those mental emotion attributes that everyone has created from past lives activities. And we're pushing it all onwards towards the future, the new age, which is a vehicle of light, a new age civilization of the garden cities where people are naturally vegetarian, vegans and begin to work with the divas. The divas themselves are light. They work with light. And when you see them, they're most beautiful, exquisite, radiant entities. Of course, they can be sludged up and grunged up by our human emotions and by the dark brotherhood manipulations because they embody substance. So what I'm getting to is that as you're working upon yourself, expect the sickness, disease or whatever to come to the surface. Don't um, despair, but 
understand that that's a natural process as substances coming out and then work out the appropriate mechanisms of humiliation, of helping to pour this substance out of you as quickly as possible and then move on to the next level and the next level of your cleansings. And in a sense, it works in stages because if you can think, I know most of you don't, but if you're Buddhist minded, you'll think of the body as a stupa. Uh, you know what a stupa is? It's the, a religious shrine. Uh, they uh, have a little pinnacle at the top and it's a big base at the bottom. You've seen many of them in, in Tibetan art and so forth. Now that's what the body is. And you're working at cleansing the base and you're going through the five levels of the stupa. And if you want to look at the stupa and the symbol in the stupa, it's in my um, book on, on um, uh, mandalas, because in a sense that book is about stupas. Uh, you go through the five levels of the stupa and the base level is your physical body. The next level is the emotions. And then you get to the fari and then you get to the area and then you get to the ifric. Um, which is the head. So you're going from the, the sacral center, base of the spine center, and you're cleansing that. And then that produces all of the sexual cleansings, you know, problems of the sexual organs and so forth, um, and all the thoughts and problems to do with that. And then you go into the, the watery cleansings, which is where most of you are at now. Um, and that goes through mostly the splenic center, the um, solar plexus center, the organs of digestion, um, the, the liver, the kidneys, all of these um, organs below the, the diaphragm and that are controlled by the, the solar plexus in the stomach. And then you move on upwards to the next um, part of the stupa and its cleansing, which is the chest area. And then this is you now working with your heart and trying to awaken the heart properly, to function with the heart. And then you get the congestions of the lungs and you know, the colds, the flus, the chest inflammations, all of those things that, and heart problems for some that uh, relate to the organ in that area of the organ being cleansed. And so you're moving up the stupa in your cleansings and also in your meditation work. And then, uh, yes, you get to the next level, which is your throat and your head. And for most, you'll be there for a long time because that's where most meditators are focused. And there are minor chakras there, as I mentioned in my last email, there's two eyes, two ear, um, chakras, there's the mouth. The mouth is a chakra, but it's uh, associated with the throat, directly with the throat. The nostrils, which where, um, you know, you've heard of Hatha Yoga. Um, yeah. That's uh, Hatha Yoga means um, breathing in right, left. Uh, but the, the nostrils are not a chakra per se. There's tiny, tiny little chakras there. The, the actual chakras are what I call the breast centers. Uh, <clears throat> or the lung centers if you want, and, and they're the main, main chakras. Uh, and then there's the 
third eye or the pineal gland, the pituitary gland, and the ultra major center, which is also medulla oblongata. It uh, is the entire spinal column and that above the spinal column. And so those particular um, minor chakras then become and can become diseased now from suffering from that, um, uh, from dealing with uh, focusing upon the mind or the head and it's the meditation and bringing all the pranas, all of that grunge, if you wish, upwards. Uh, up the spinal column, up the nadis, to that part of the body. I also have to deal often with, with um, head problems because that's where the DB um, are focused also. So as you move upwards, so the DB move with you and you, the, the type of DB change uh, to deal with that type of symptom sickness. And then finally, you're talking about the very top of your head and uh, awakening the Sahasrara Padma properly. Uh, and that's, uh, so there's a type of cleansing of, of the, um, uh, the thousand petal lotus and the throwing out of the toxins there as well, the pranas there. Uh, that also needs to be done um, before enlightenment is properly, can properly manifest. So, yeah, talking, you so said we're talking about a subtle process of, of the cleansing of the sheaths, as it's called, um, the cleansing of the Nadi system via the chakras. The chakras are always spinning. And if you can think of something that's spinning, a spinning wheel of, you know, it's, it's a vortice actually. Um, so it's spinning. And as it's spinning, if the energies are coming through it or into it, um, it throws out by the minor petals. You know, all the chakras have various petals at each at the heart of each of the major petal uh, chakras are 96 petals, but there's the four petal, it's eight, six petals, you know, the 10 petals of the solar plexus, and we go up to the 12 petals of the heart until eventually the 1056 of the head lotus. And so all of these minor chakras have their own spins as well, and they're all throwing out the substance. Um, so they all just wheels within wheels within wheels, uh, you know, Zaikiel's wheels, if you want. They're just spinning, throwing out substance. And until eventually all that there's left is light. And then what is, what do the chakras do? They're dealing therefore with greater and greater and greater intensities of light. And they grow and they expand as the light comes in as well. Um, so from smaller to, to larger. Uh, so it's wonderful, is it not, to actually think of yourself as what you really are, is the chakra system, the nadis and the chakras. That's where the true human unit is. The physical body is an automaton. It automatically responds to what energies are coming through the chakras. It produces its sickness or good health, um, depending on what's being sunk into the physical body via the chakras. Uh, 